To glance at a snapshot of Port Stanley, one is almost immediately struck with the impression of a typical, small British town. Businesses are predominantly local, nearly everyone drives a Land Rover, and everyone knows everyone else. However, this little town and the Falkland Islands upon which it resides are 8,000 miles away from the UK in the South Atlantic, and we're at the heart of one of the most emotionally charged disputes in the world. A dispute that peaked on April 2nd, 1982, when neighboring Argentina invaded. However, this famous Argentine invasion was preceded and arguably inspired by a dramatic and largely forgotten event that took place almost 20 years before. When the sleepy Falkland Islanders awoke to the news that armed Argentinians had landed on their islands, claiming them for Buenos Aires. This is the story of the 1966 Condor Operation. Welcome to Wars of the World. The origins of the dispute between Argentina and the United Kingdom is a long and complicated one, involving numerous other players like France, Spain, and the United States. Simply put, when Argentina gained its full independence from Spain on July 9, 1816, one of the territories it sought to bring into the newly created nation was a series of islands located approximately 200 miles to the east. These islands had actually first been discovered in 1592, by Englishman John Davis aboard his vessel named Desire, but it would be almost a century later before the first recorded landing was made there, again by another Englishman, John Strong. Over the coming centuries, the islands were used by whalers, seal hunters, and naval forces as a supply base, many of whom brought livestock with them with which to farm, although the islands as a whole were for much of this period ungoverned beyond established settlements. So remote were the islands in those early years that in the mid-1760s, both the British and French established colonies on them without either knowing of the other's existence for months. France then left the islands at the behest of Spain, but when Britain refused to do the same, an armed fleet of Spanish warships were dispatched to force the issue. Spain maintained a military presence on the islands until 1811, when it was withdrawn in order to help quash growing independence movements in South America although Spain maintained its claim on the territory. In the wake of Argentina's independence, there were several efforts by Argentinians and Europeans to colonize the islands, but the landscape was harsh and unforgiving. Hamburg businessman Louis Vernet acquired fishing rights on the islands from both the Argentinians and British in 1823, but when he sought to control the seal hunting industry, he made the mistake of impounding four American ships, prompting a powerful military response in the form of the USS Lexington, which proceeded to apprehend many of Vernet's men as pirates and laid waste to much of his infrastructure on the islands. Then in 1833, in response to established British fishing and shipping rights in the region being threatened, a British task force arrived on the islands to claim them for Britain once and for all. Finally being permanently colonized, the islands became internationally recognized by their British name of the Falklands. And this is how the situation has remained up to the present day. 
save for the 74 days in 1982, when Argentine forces occupied them. For Britain, the story was another chapter in the history of the British Empire, and one that was overlooked by many in the Northern Hemisphere before 1982. However, for Argentina, it was the source of a national humiliation, and generations would grow up on dreams of reclaiming them. But for many years, successive Argentine governments chose good relations with the UK. The Argentine Navy, for example, was one of the most powerful navies in South America at the start of the 20th century, and this was thanks largely to British shipyards providing them with advanced warships. However, in the turbulent history of Argentina throughout the 20th century, there were more and more calls by nationalist Argentinians to finally wipe this blemish off their history and recover their lost pride. By the 1960s, the timing seemed right as Britain was withdrawing from its empire under the decolonization process, and according to the United Nations, this should include the Falklands. And Britain actually agreed. In 1966, the Labour government under Prime Minister Harold Wilson decided to enter negotiations for a transfer of authority over the islands to Buenos Aires, believing it was better for British interests to have cordial relations with Argentina, rather than hostile ones over the matter of a few seemingly unimportant islands thousands of miles away. However, unlike in other British colonies around the world, on the Falklands there was no significant indigenous population wanting independence or unity with Argentina. The islanders viewed themselves as British and intended to stay that way. Wilson's government therefore entered into a series of secret negotiations with Buenos Aires without the knowledge or approval of the islanders. However, this also meant keeping it a secret from the Argentine people who were getting frustrated by the lack of progress being made by their own successive governments. For some, that meant taking matters into their own hands. Just after midnight on September 28, 1966, six crew and 32 passengers boarded a Douglas DC-4 airliner belonging to Aerolineas Argentinas, Argentina's flag-bearing airline in Buenos Aires, taking off at around 034 hours, bound for Rio Galleros, Santa Cruz. Aboard the aircraft were a number of students, or so they appeared. For just over halfway through the flight, 17 men and one woman got out of their seats and drew weapons, proceeding to hijack the airliner. Leading the group was 25-year-old Dardo Cabo, a journalist and supporter of Peronism, a nationalist political movement based on the doctrines of famed Argentine leader Juan Perón. Breaking into the cockpit, the terrified crew were instructed to head east out to sea. They were headed for the Falkland Islands. This must have been a daunting task for the pilots, who knew that while they had the fuel to reach them, there was no runway there. They were going to have to find as smooth a surface as possible to touch down upon, but even then, there was no guarantee of a safe landing. But the hijackers were adamant. Their plan, which they had dubbed Operation Condor, was now underway, and nothing was going to stop them. They were on a path to liberate the Falklands. Strangely, this was not the first time an Argentinian had flown to the islands, demanding that they be handed over to Argentina. Just two years earlier, a solo pilot named Miguel Fitzgerald landed on the islands in a light aircraft to protest the British presence there. But this was no protest. These men were armed and committed to their cause. 
The selection of Flight 648 had been anything but random, for Cabo knew that flying aboard the aircraft that day was Argentine Navy Rear Admiral Jose Maria Guzman, who was the governor of the National Territory of Tierra del Fuego Province in southern Argentina, and from the Argentine perspective, this included the Falkland Islands. Guzman was unaware of the plan, and when his aides tried to take out a sidearm to defend themselves, he was promptly beaten over the head, and the gun was taken by the hijackers. Cabo informed him of their plan to plant the Argentine flag on the islands, to spur up the people back home to demand the islands be reclaimed immediately by the Argentine military. But while Guzman sympathized, he was not yet ready to join them on an unauthorized mission. Nevertheless, he was going to be touching down on the islands with them. He had no choice in the matter. Unaware of the drama taking place in the skies, the people of the Falklands capital of Stanley woke up to begin what they assumed was just another Wednesday. Local teacher Shirley Hurtle was beginning her day getting ready to teach second-year infant children at the local school, when her uncle, who was working at the school as a painter, called her outside. It was just after 830 hours local time, when Hurtle and her uncle, along with numerous others, saw the four-engined airliner drone low overhead, having emerged from behind thick clouds and immediately assumed it was in trouble. Having circled Port Stanley for a few minutes, the pilot decided the only place suitable for a safe landing was Stanley Racecourse, the same place where Miguel Fitzgerald had landed two years earlier. The DC-4 touched down on the racecourse at approximately 842 hours, digging up peat and bog as it trundled to a halt before its right wheel sank into the soft ground. Still believing the aircraft had been in trouble, a group of concerned islanders rushed towards the aircraft to help, but instead they were greeted by the sight of armed men clambering down ropes from the aircraft and proceeding to take them hostage. Alarmed by this, others who had descended onto the scene stayed clear, while the island authorities sprang into action. The Falkland Islands has maintained a small, volunteer defense force in some form or another since 1847, when the first militia groups were raised by the then-governor Richard Clement Moody. In peacetime, the Falklands Island Defense Force, or FIDF, rarely numbered more than 200 part-time volunteers, and these were mostly expected to work alongside regular British troops brought in from the UK during times of heightened tension, providing them with vital local knowledge. Having a defense force also meant that there was a large population of former members who had left as they got older, but still retained their training. Thus, as news of the armed incursion spread, there seemed no shortage of volunteers, old and new, to take up arms in defense of the islands against the invading Argentinians. The Royal Falkland Islands Police proceeded to block off roads to prevent any more locals wandering to the scene and being taken hostage, while the FIDF mobilized. Any able-bodied man in Port Stanley seemed to be grabbing a rifle and descending on the racecourse, including several workers from the UK who themselves had undertaken national service and were trained as basic soldiers. However, without doubt, the most capable combatants in the defense of Port Stanley that day with a small detachment of Royal Marines who had been working alongside the FIDF. Since 1952, the Royal Marines had retained a detachment on the islands, numbering around 30 men. However, this had dropped off considerably to just six by 1966, and all of whom were under the command of Captain Ian Martin. 
The Argentinian gunmen were caught off guard by the rapid response their landing had provoked from the Falkland Islanders. Their original plan had been to leave the aircraft and race towards the island's government house, capturing it and replacing the Union flag with the Argentine flag. But they had landed too far away, and with armed defenders, police, and Royal Marines surrounding them, that goal was now impossible without a firefight. Therefore, they stayed with the aircraft, using their hostages for protection from attack. They proceeded to plant their flags in the soil before them, and informed Captain Martin, who had come to negotiate, that he was trespassing on Argentine territory. They also attempted to distribute poorly printed leaflets in English that tried to explain to the islanders why they should accept Argentinian rule and that they should become Argentine citizens. Some read the leaflets out of curiosity, while others firmly refused to accept them. In an effort to end the standoff peaceably, the island's colonial secretary, Harry Thompson, who was standing in for the governor, Cosmo Haskart, who was in the UK at the time, agreed to meet with three of the Argentinians. They were escorted by Captain Martin to Government House, but the talks proved fruitless. The Argentinians insisted that the islands be surrendered, and furthermore, warned that their actions would have no doubt sparked calls from the Argentine people for their government to follow up their landing with a full-blown invasion. This part of their plan very nearly came true, for as news of what was happening reached Argentina, national pride exploded out onto many city streets, with the British ambassador's house coming under siege from rioters, while shots were fired at a villa where, due to extraordinarily unfortunate timing, the Duke of Edinburgh himself had been staying while playing polo in Argentina. However, they were not as widespread as Cabo and the other hijackers had anticipated, and the recently installed government, which was only three months old at the time after winning power through the usual military coup, saw the whole affair as a serious problem, given the negotiations that were going on with London, and openly condemned the incident. Despite their plans seemingly beginning to fall apart around them, the Argentinians remained steadfast in their convictions and refused any agreement that didn't see Thompson officially recognizing Argentina as having sovereignty over the islands. However, they did agree to release their hostages aboard the aircraft in exchange for several volunteer replacements from the local community, including police officer Terry Peck, who would become famous for his exploits nearly 20 years later during the 1982 conflict. As night descended, the local defenders decided to engage in a little bit of psychological warfare in order to encourage the hijackers to surrender. Powerful spotlights were projected onto the aircraft, which, as well as allowing the islanders to monitor what the invaders were doing, simultaneously made it harder for them to observe the defenders' positions and deprive them of sleep, something that was backed up by loudspeakers playing country and western music. Being Catholics, they were allowed to receive Dutch priest Rodolfo Roal, who was on the islands at the time, and became the ideal go-between as the situation moved forward. Roel performed mass for the men in the fuselage of the aircraft, who, as the second day of the standoff began to wind down, were exhausted, hungry, thirsty, and believed they had achieved their goal, having declared as much in a radio broadcast home. At 1700 hours, on September 29th, the hijackers were led out of the aircraft by Father Roel, all of whom were singing the Argentine national anthem. While they surrendered their weapons to local authorities, they did not recognize their surrender being to the British, instead stipulating that they had surrendered to the Catholic Church, rear Father Roel. Three days later, an Argentine military freighter sailed into Port Stanley and took the hijackers and their former hostages back to Argentina. 
all except the DC-4 pilots, who, incredibly, with help from the locals, managed to free the aircraft and take off again. For his involvement in the operation, Dardo Cabo was put on trial in Argentina and served three years in prison, during which time he married Maria Cristina, the only woman among the hijackers. He would later be killed, fighting in opposition to the military junta that seized power in 1976, as were many of the other hijackers. While the operation had been resolved peacefully, the fallout was widespread and wouldn't be fully appreciated until years later. Firstly, the hijackers had demonstrated just how vulnerable the islands were to invasion, since an armed force was able to make it all the way to the island's capital, completely unchallenged. This prompted a bolstering of the Royal Marine presence on the island to over 30 personnel under the banner of the Naval Party 8901, and they would provide significant opposition to the Argentine invasion force in April 1982, before being ordered to surrender by Governor Rex Hunt, who wanted to avoid further bloodshed. As for the bigger picture in the story of the Falklands, the hijacking derailed negotiations for a transfer of power because this would appear as British capitulation, something that was politically unthinkable. Weighed against this, Argentine flags flying on the islands for 36 hours only served to inspire a generation of Argentinians with similar ambitions. The 1960s and 70s were a time of great troubles for Argentina, which was wrought by coups and civil unrest, but the only thing that united them was a belief that one day the Falklands would be theirs. Spurred on by that belief, the resulting war in 1982 cost 649 Argentinians, 255 British, and three islanders their lives. Such is the passion regarding the islands that in Argentina, despite the hijackers threatening and endangering Argentine civilians, they are viewed and celebrated as heroes, and their families have even received government pensions. However, should any Argentinian try to repeat the incident, they will find just getting close to the islands a difficult task. For since 1982, the British military presence there has grown substantially. Heavily armed warships patrol the waters, surface-to-air missile batteries protect key settlements, and high above are a force of typhoon multi-role fighters. With neither side willing to give up their claim, the dispute over the Falklands still rages to this day. And there you have the tale of Operation Condor. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.